Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book, Betsy Timboom, Promise of God, by Mike Evans, with permission from Time Worthy Books, and we are on Chapter 8. That summer, I went to work for Papa in the workshop. When I was younger, he did everything himself, waited on customers, ordered parts, performed repairs, and kept the books. Business was steady and provided us with plenty to eat and clothes to wear. But often we lived from week to week, sometimes day to day, and on occasion from watch repair to watch repair. By the time I had started secondary school, things had improved. He hired an apprentice named Lewis, who had recently moved to town from Belgium. Lewis helped with repairs and occasionally waited on customers or wrapped packages for delivery. But Papa still kept up with the parts orders, looked after watch and clock inventory, and maintained the ledger of income and expenses. Sort of. Together they did an excellent job with repairs and were adequate in obtaining parts and wrapping packages, but in keeping track of bills, invoices, and receipts from sales, they were sorely lacking. That became my job. At first I found Papa's ledger confusing. There were entries for parts that had been ordered, but no corresponding record of payment for them. Repairs ordered by customers, but no indication the work had ever been billed and entries for sales but no indication of our cost. To make matters worse, I knew nothing about bookkeeping. Before my first day in the shop, I had never seen a ledger, much less record the entries in one. Still, it was mostly numbers, I reasoned. I was good with math, so I drove into the task and did my best to keep things straight. In between maintaining the ledger, I ordered parts, paid bills, and wrapped packages for delivery. Those tasks were pleasant, and I especially enjoyed preparing the packages for shipment but by far my favorite duty was waiting on customers. Papa often said that working on a watch wasn't a job, it was a privilege. And that was exactly how I felt about the customers. Helping them choose a watch to purchase or explaining a needed repair wasn't a duty, it was a joy. One of my first customers was Joseph Meyer, a Jewish fabric merchant. His shop was located across Harlem from us, but he made the trek to bring his watch to Papa for servicing. My first day in the shop, he brought a pocket watch for cleaning. With him that day was his daughter, Hannah. She was about my height and looked to be about my age, but she was much slimmer. And that first day I saw her, she looked haggard and tired. Papa introduced us, and while he and Joseph talked, Hannah and I visited. She was polite, but seemed preoccupied. I found it difficult to engage her in conversation. When they were gone, I asked Papa about it. I think it's a matter best left alone for now, he replied. Do you know what's bothering her? He didn't look up at me as he spoke, but kept his eyes focused on the work at his desk. You should let Joseph deal with it. A few minutes went by while I thought about it, and then I muttered in a voice just loud enough for him to hear, Aren't we supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Betsy, he said slowly, drawing out the sound with each syllable in a tone that he knew I was up to something. Better to leave it with them. Well, aren't we supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I insisted. Papa continued to work. Why are you asking me this? We pray for the peace of Jerusalem every morning. You know the answer to your own question. Yes, I acknowledged. We pray for Jerusalem every day, and that prayer includes a blessing from Jews everywhere, right? Yes, including individual Jews we might know or meet, I continued. Whatever's going on with Joseph Meyer and his daughter is none of your concern, except for the watch they left for repair. I couldn't drop it. Are we not instruments of the blessing we seek? 
This time, Papa arched an eyebrow and shot a look at my direction that he had had enough. Yes, he said curtly, we are often God's agents for the blessing we seek for others. Then how can I ignore what I saw and sensed about her? Should I look the other way just because the issue is troubling? Can I at least ask her about it the next time she comes in? Are you planning to see her again? Yes, I nodded. I I think I will see her again. I think God brought her across my path for a reason, and she'll be back. Oh, Papa had an amused expression on his face. How do you think that will happen? I smiled. Someone has to return to pick up the watch. Ha, Papa laughed. I suppose they will. A few days later, Papa's friend, Rabbi Prinz, stopped by for his weekly visit. Papa set aside his tools, took down a Bible from the shelf behind him, and the two picked up their most recent theological debate, returning to the place where he had left off during the last visit. When Mama heard them talking, she sent down coffee and cake. And for more than an hour, they argued and jousted with each other over passages of Scripture from the Old Testament. As their discussion neared in the end, Papa looked over at Prince and said, Answer a question for me. That is what I have been doing since I walked in the door, Prince chuckled. I've been trying to help you see the truth. I'm serious, Papa added. I need your answer to a question. Certainly, Casper Prince replied, his face turning serious. Whatever you wish to know, ask me and I will tell you, so far as I am able. Papa leaned forward, propped his elbows on the desktop. Jews still follow the practice of arranged marriages, right? Yes, Prince nodded. Many of us do, even to this day. Where does that practice come from? From the Torah. Surely you know this. Where in the Torah? Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac. That's the first we have of it, though I'm certain it was not the first time a marriage was arranged. But it was the beginning of the practice for us. We've been following that custom ever since. It's a part of our tradition. Papa had a curious smile. Still today? Yes, Prince nodded. At least among the faithful. We have some who do not follow the law, but it is still the orthodox expectation. Papa glanced over at me and kept going on. How does that work? Do you tell them who they are to marry? Sometimes I do, but most of the time the father and mother arrange the marriage. It's not as harsh as it sounds. Usually as a child approaches marriageable age, the parents determine who among the young people might make a good match for their child. Then they tell their child, this one would be acceptable, or that one would be good for you. Then they let the children take it from there. But it's not supposed to be coerced, and it's never to be done before the child reaches the age of consent. They don't force them to marry. No, Prince shook his head insistently. That's not allowed, according to the law. There have been many forced marriages, but it's not the law. But I... Suddenly, Rabbi Prince's eyes opened wide, and he jerked his head around to look in my direction. Are you arranging a marriage for Betsy? Papa leaned back in his chair in a defensive posture. No, 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 no. It's just the issue came up the other day, and I wanted to make sure we understood the tradition. Oh, Prince relaxed. Well, that's the tradition. Parents of a daughter began looking for a husband as she comes of age. Same for the parents of the young men. The parents know the families and the children of the community, their reputations and their qualifications. They decide whom among the eligible young people they think would work best for their child, the most compatible. But they don't force the couple to marry. At least, not many do. Lewis looked up. Nobody tells us who to marry. Not anybody's business. We Jews have many traditions that appear strange to the rest of the world, Rabbi Prince explained patiently. 
but we respect our traditions just the same. It's a little too much to expect someone to go along with that today. Lewis was bent over the work table, repairing a watch. He spoke without looking up and did not see Papa's eyes. If he had, he would not have made that last comment. I wondered what would happen next, but Rabbi Prince seemed to welcome the challenge of explaining himself, and he responded before Papa could speak up. On the contrary, Prince countered with an ease. What young man, as he comes of age, could possibly approach this decision with a realistic view of marriage? He knows nothing of what is required to build a lasting relationship, nurture a family, and endure the challenges of life. All he can think of is how beautiful some particular young woman might be, how desirable she might appear, and the conjugal rights he will attain with marriage. Friends glance at me. I do not mean to be impolite. I'm just saying, young men and young women, for that matter, are ill-equipped to make such life-changing decisions solely on their own. They need help. Our traditions regard marriage. Give them that help. Rabbi Prin's explanation of the Jewish marriage tradition was not without merit. I just didn't like it. I think it made sense to Lewis too, because he had nothing else to say. He focused on the repair work at his desk, and I focused on the ledger. Papa and Rabbi Prince continued to talk a while about other things until half hour later. The cake and the coffee consumed. He left. When he was gone, I glanced in Papa's direction with a questioning frown. Why did you bring up the marriage question? Are you thinking I should get married? No, he said with a wave of his hand. It had nothing to do with you. Then why did you bring it up? I thought it would help you with Hannah Meyer to understand their traditions. If you see her again, why would that help me? With my eyes opened wide with a look of realization. You think that's what's bothering her? I'm certain of it. Papa picked up a small screwdriver and focused on the watch that lay on his desk. He spoke while he worked. Her father and mother arranged her marriage a long ago. How do you know that? Joseph told me about it. When I laid down the pencil I had been holding in my hand and focused my attention on Papa, what did he tell you the other day when they came were here? No, he answered, glancing up at me. He told me back then when it was arranged. When? How long ago? When she was a young girl, Papa replied. A young girl before she was accountable? Yes, long before that. Rabbi Prince said it wasn't supposed to happen that way. I know he sighed. I've moved my hands to my hips. So now she wants out. Is that it? Based on what he said the other day, I'd say so. Based on what he said, I repeated. He talked to you about this? Yes. Why didn't you tell me then? Papa laid down the tools and looked over at me. Betsy, in spite of the way they handled it, this is a matter for them to decide. It is none of our business. And what should I say to her if she returns? You should pray about that. I will, but I'm not going to ignore her. Papa picked up the tools again. I wouldn't expect you to do that. A few days later, Joseph Meyer returned to the shop to collect the watch. As I expected, Hannah came with him. In spite of Papa's warning, I was determined to learn the truth about her situation. As Joseph moved towards Papa's desk, I glanced over at Hannah. Would you care to join me for tea? Sure, Hannah replied. I gestured for her to follow me up the stairs. The kitchen is up here. Mama, I already knew, was on the rooftop with Cory tending to the plants, and William and Nolly were with Aunt Anna in the market, which meant Hannah and I would sit in the kitchen table and talk without interruption. I lit the stove and put the kettle on to boil, then took a seat with Hannah at the table while we waited. Having a good summer so far, I asked, trying to start the conversation. I don't know," she shrugged. "I suppose so. 
That doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement, I smiled at her. Something wrong? I was a little forward of me to ask a direct question, but I didn't have much time. Joseph was only there to collect the watch. Even with Papa's fondness of conversation, their business together wouldn't take long. I'm sorry, Hannah said with a polite smile. I don't mean to be a poor guest. No, it's okay, I said, hoping I hadn't offended her. I wasn't trying to pry, just making conversation. I caught her eye, but you look like you might need to talk. I don't think I should. Water in the kettle on the stove started to boil. Steam passing through the sprout interrupted us with a whistling sound. I rose from the table to tend to it. Do you live near here, I asked as I stepped to the stove. I already knew they did not, but I wanted to keep her talking. We live on the opposite side of town. I placed tea in the teapot and poured the hot water over it. Papa said you, he knew you when you were a little girl. Yes, she nodded. I've known your father for as long as I can remember. I can't believe we never met. Are you still in school? I have one more year of secondary classes. She dropped her gaze to the floor and lowered her voice, but I'm not sure I'll get to finish it. I placed the lid on the teapot, placed the kettle on the cool side of the stove, and took a seat across from her. Why not? She looked at me in a moment and then glanced away. I shouldn't have said anything, she mumbled. I reached across the table and touched her hand. It's okay. I think you need to say whatever's on your mind. She looked up, and as our eyes met, I gave a pleasant smile. I think you want to tell me. I want to tell someone tears came to her eyes. I am to be married in a few weeks. Papa was right. That was the problem. Tears streamed down Hannah's cheeks, but I forced myself to remain calm so I could keep her talking. To whom? Whom are you supposed to marry? Tobias Franken, she whispered. Do you know him? No, I replied. And now she opened up to me. I was at loss at what to say next, so I asked the next obvious question. Who is he? His father is an art dealer in Amsterdam, so he is someone you know. It sounded like a dumb question. I mean, she just told me his name, but the whole idea of an arranged marriage was absurd to me. Yes, Hannah apparently did not notice the irony of my question. We've known each other all our lives. Will he finish school? He's not in my class. Her eyes grew dark. He's older than I am. I leaned back in my chair. How much older? Ten years, she whispered. That was precisely the thing that bothered me most, an older man taking a younger woman for a wife, forcing her to submit to him, constraining her to the life of misery. I couldn't imagine Papa allowing something like that to happen to one of his children, much less arranging it. Does your father know how you feel? Yes, she nodded, but he insists there's nothing he can do. What does it mean there's nothing he can do? Tobias's father is a powerful man in Amsterdam, president of the synagogue, very wealthy. And besides, there was an agreement. You agreed to this? No, not me. I did not agree to anything, but my parents did. I thought parents selected possible men for you, but you had the final choice. I was never given a choice. She wiped her eyes with her fingertips. The marriage was arranged before I was six years old. By your parents? I had already knew this and said it by the way of indictment more than anything else. The thought of her parents doing this to her really made me angry. And my grandparents, Hannah added, pausing to take a deep breath. My grandfather and Tobias's grandfather were best friends. She gave me a wane smile. It's the way things have always been. And she lowered her head once more. But I can't do it. Then what will you do? I don't know, but I... Hannah... 
Joseph called from the first floor. I'm ready to go. She stood. I'm sorry, I must leave now. And then she turned from the table and started towards the stairs. My heart ached at the thought of what was about to happen to her. And after all, she had told me I couldn't just let her walk away. I had to do something, anything to help her. As she stepped from the table, I came from behind her quickly and touched her hand. She turned back to face me, and I said in a low voice, I will help you. Whatever I can do, I will help you. In that instant, I said those words. A light flickered through her eyes, and I knew she meant what she said. She had no intention of following through on her father's commitment for her to marry Tobias, and I only hoped I meant what I had said. Thank you, she mouthed in response, and then she turned away once more and hurried downstairs. Hannah was a few steps ahead of me as we moved down the stairs, and when we reached the bottom, I moved behind her and held the door open while she and Joseph left the shop. After they were gone, I returned to my desk near the display cases. Papa picked up his loop, placed it against his eyes, and leaned over the watch that lay on his desk. You spoke with her? he asked while he was working. She won't go through with it. She has no choice. You heard what Rabbi Prince said. It is their custom. Just because it's a tradition doesn't make it right. The anger I felt upstairs flared again inside me. Anger at Joseph Meyer for dooming his daughter to a life of misery just because he was too afraid to stand up for her and repudiate a decision that should never have been made. Anger at the grandparents for their arrogance in attempting to orchestrate the lives of entire generations. And anger at the system that held such a low view of women. For a moment I was so angry I could hardly move a muscle. I just stood there staring down at the page of the ledger and the words and the numbers of a blur of meaningless black marks on a white page. And then I heard the stairway door open in the kitchen. Mom was down from the rooftop. She would know what to do. She always knew what to do. Quietly, I once more laid down my pencil, closed the ledger, and ran upstairs. Mama was standing near the stove when I reached the top of the steps. You didn't pour the tea, she observed. Would you like some now? I flopped down on a chair at the table. Is it still hot? Oh, yes. She poured two cups from the tea kettle and brought the sugar bowl to the table. I stirred some into my tea, took a sip, and explained what had just transpired with Hannah. Mama brought a cup for herself and took a seat beside me. You should listen to your father, she said softly. He knows about these things. He knows about the way things have been done in the past, I groused. But those things are changing, perhaps not as much as you think. Women vote now, I argued. They hold jobs and do things men once did. Nothing is the way it was when he was young. Well, we are not talking about the government or employment. Mama paused long enough to take a sip of tea and swallow. We're talking about the relationship between a father and a daughter. I glanced over at her. You know I respect father. Yes, but I meant the relationship between Joseph and Hannah. Her eyes opened wide at the mention of their names. You know them too? Of course I know them. I was there the day Hannah was born. Set up with them the night her grandfather died. We've known them a long time. I didn't know that. There are many things you do not yet know, and all of them must be learned. She reached across the table, rested her hand on my forearm. I admire your zeal, Betsy, but you must temper it with understanding. Listen to your father. He is only trying to help you. And that's the end of Chapter 8. Next week will be Chapter 9. I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now.